Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve a lifelong success. Now, here to help all right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist. Good afternoon and evening, everyone, and welcome to the show this week. We are an extra special today. It's not often I do this, but I am doing a part two with the amazing Dr. Joan Rosenberg, author of 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. I had Joan on, Joan on a few weeks back. I just couldn't get through all the questions that I wanted to ask. So she was kind enough to agree to be back on the show so we can do a part two. And if you missed part one, you can get to um, the show wherever podcasts you listen to. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, up on the website at itsallaboutthequestions.com. So I encourage you to get to part one. And uh, Joan, thank you so much for being here for part two. No, thanks so much for having me. I loved being on for part one. So. I, I think you're only the second person I've ever done a two-part interview with. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> well, I'm honored. The the first one was Dr. Lori Nadell. She wrote The Five Gifts. I think I mentioned her to you, uh, right. helping people dealing with stress and PTSD and, and dealing with difficult situations. So it's really funny. The two people that I do this with are both doctors who are helping people have their best life possible by healing the internal process. Yes. So yes. I, I love that. So on, on part one, by the way, how's the book doing? Because I, I know that you, you hit, uh, number one, you've done really well with the book, and it, it should be a New York Times bestseller, and I know that's a huge process, but I want to help make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to mean lots more books sold and a lots more books sold kind of all at the same time. So uh, it's uh, the, bo- the book is still, the, uh, the book is now becoming part of book clubs. I just had a great conversation with someone. And so I know that uh, I'm told that they're going to use it for book club down there, and they're and people are. My understanding overall is that people are loving the book, so I'm I'm grateful for that, and they're finding it very very helpful. So uh, it's it by by the second or third chapter, people are already going, whoa! I you know this explains so much, or I understand so much more about how how I operate or how my feelings work or. So it's it's a it's making a big difference, and yeah, of course the goal the goal on my end is to get the message out to as many as possible. For my listeners who perhaps missed the first episode when I had you on, which guys go out there and go go listen because it's really worth it. The the difficult feelings that we're talking about here that you help people process through and and master to have resilience and confidence are sadness shame helplessness anger embarrassment disappointment frustration and vulnerability and what is it about this 90 seconds to a life you love i mean when you're going through and feeling those emotions it sure feels like It'll never go away. Yet you've seen over the course of 30 plus years of being in practice that really it's 90 seconds you need to process. I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) So yeah, well, well, think of it as um, 90 seconds repeated over and over and over throughout the course of your life. So a couple, a couple different things here. The um, and I, I'll explain why these eight, uh, un- these particular eight unpleasant feelings. But let me start with the ninety second. The I, 
wrestled with a question, two key questions throughout most of my life. And one was, what is it that helps people gain confidence? And because I was a shy, an exquisitely shy child that didn't feel like I belonged, felt really different, and I would look over at these group of kids and, and there they would be laughing and connected and confident and seemingly confident, etc. And I was like, how come I don't have that? And I know that that's a lot of people's experience. And then the second question I wrestled with is, what makes it so difficult for most of us to experience unpleasant feelings? Because I had a hard time too. And, and, and the more I got into doing the work of psychotherapy and, and, and being in psychology, the, the more I saw that across the board. And, and so it was like, I've got to, I got to understand this. And when the neuroscience discovery started to come out more towards the late nineties and into the early two thousands, what, what neuroscientists started to talk about was that the way we experience or co- way we experience and come to know what we're feeling emotionally is because we feel it as bodily sensations first. And for years I was telling the people that I was working with, ride the wave, ride the wave of feelings, ride the wave of the feelings. But I never, I never had an explanation for it. When the neuroscience came out, I did. And, and a one particular woman, a, a neuroscientist by the name of Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, so I didn't make up the 90 seconds. This is, I draw this from her. Made an, she's a woman who wrote the book, My Stroke of Insight. And in that book, she talks about that when a feeling gets triggered, then what ends up happening is that there's a, rough, a rush of biochemicals from the, that, that flow into the bloodstream. And, and the, those biochemicals activate bodily sensations. So think of the heat at your chest or into your face when you feel embarrassed. Think of clenched fists or tightening up or a tight jaw when you're angry. Or uh, other clients would describe getting feeling heat at the back of their neck or heat in their arms when they're angry. Or feeling sad and you feel kind of this heaviness at your chest. You can't breathe and or or tears breathe. are so overwhelming or you can't get up off the couch kind of thing. Right, sure, right. So, but, but, but it, we, it's all through bodily sensation. We just, it just happens so quickly, we don't have the awareness that that's what's taking place. And, and then that, that flush of biochemicals out of the bloodstream occurs within roughly 90 seconds. So the idea then is like what I realized is that, oh, and here's, here's the thing for people to under, really, really get and understand. That is, it's not, what I realized is that it's not that we don't want to feel the full range of our feelings. We don't want to feel the bodily sensations because they're so unpleasant, we don't want to feel the bodily sensations that help us know what we're feeling emotionally. And that's what we want to avoid. And that's why people try to shut down on it. And, and so once I realized that and, and realized how short any given feeling was, it, it's a feeling that basically is a bodily sensation wave. So, so if I could get people to understand that all they needed to do was to ride one or more not just one, but one or more bodily sensation waves of any of these given unpleasant feelings, the eight that I always talk about, then they could basically go pursue anything that they wanted in life. And, and, and I, I'll dig into that in a moment, too, but 
but so it's but it's, so it's not just one wave and it's not, at any given time. It could be more, and it's not just one wave for the rest of your life. It's any time you have a particular reaction in the course of life. You know, somebody disappointed you. Somebody, you know, you got angry about something or something made you sad. Whatever it is, ride those waves. It's it's for the rest of your life. But if you know it's temporary, you can do it. There's a couple of quotes from your book. One of them yep. in in chapter nine was something you said to one of your your clients, one of your patients. You said, "There will never be a moment in your life that will repeat." And you can never fully re-experience a moment that you have already lived. So life is really about change. Life involves solving the various challenges and problems you are faced with on a daily basis. It is about handling the constancy of change, not the constancy of routine. Mm-hmm. That was so powerful for me in talking about what you were just talking about, about these 90 seconds. It. For me, you know, especially when I was going through the deep grief with my mom that still flares up, and, you know, that's mm-hmm. how you and I first initially met, even way before mom had passed away, just at the time, and everybody can hear mm-hmm. all about that on, on part one of the show, was it feels like when you're processing through or feeling that emotion that you've had that exact thing before. But when mm-hmm. I read what you wrote in Chapter 9 about up-leveling confidence and resilience, you're, what you're saying is it may seem like it's the same emotion, but it's not because it's about something else. It's not the same trigger, or that's a concept well, I've been the, struggling it's with. Not the, it's not the same moment in time. Okay. As, uh, it, as you go through life, you gain more maturity and more wisdom and more experiences uh, you may be in a, a different city in that moment that you're having something that seems so parallel to what you experienced before. So you're not you're not reliving the same moment. Um, that we can't we never we can't ever go back. You know, think of experiences that you've absolutely loved or feeling super connected to to someone, but you can't you, you don't re you might recapture parallel experiences of that, but it's not the exact same thing. You know, think of when people go to conferences and they have this amazing time. That experience doesn't get repeated. Something parallel to that might, but that very experience doesn't get repeated. And so that's so that's part of what I mean is that is that it, 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 as we age, we're in the next moment. We're not the same, especially if we're invested in in growing emotionally and you know kind of growing in wisdom and maturity and and emotionally that we're not exactly the same and so that that's part of what i mean the other is that when when we think about a memory that pulls up the same feelings that that elicits the same feelings because that because the feelings are tied to the memory in terms of the way the brain encodes memories if I think of a, a particular memory and I think about it again and again, it's going to fire off the same approximate pattern, not the exact pattern, but the same approximate pattern that fired off the first time I felt the feeling. So it's it's not exactly the same. So that, to me, seems like it would lessen the potentially lessen the intensity by saying to myself, okay, this may feel like the exact same 
trigger or the exact same emotion, but it's it's going to be slightly different because I'm different than I was the first time I had it. So thinking about it that way and processing the 90 seconds of allowing that to go through my body can can help me if I think of it that way, work through it. Sure, sure. I mean, and part of the part of it is I think adopting the attitude one that I'm I'm going to make my way through. But uh, I, well, here's probably the best way. I, I can think of any given feeling as being brief. Okay. It's temporary. And, and in situations of grief in particular, I think it's different. I think that I, I'm, and, I'm, and in the book I talk, talk about grief as kind of waves of waves. You know, we have this level of attachment to people, and it's not, it's not, easy to have that necessarily resolve. And, and if, we, if you think of having, it's like a well-worn path, right? Okay. So it, it can, you can think of, uh, let's say you, you, you walk to a given store or you walk someplace using the same path over and over and over again. And if there wasn't anything there before, like the grass was all green and you kept on walking the same path, You'd wear out the green, and now you'd, you'd literally be able to see that path. Well, that's what happens in the brain. Basically, a path gets created the more, the more you repeat something. Okay. And, and so think of being attached to somebody, right, So and emotionally. And so we get really attached, and we have the same experiences with that person day after day after day after day after day. So now we're into weeks and into months and into years and into decades of certain kind of repeated exchanges with people. Well, you can imagine how well-worn that path is. So the person passes away. So I'm, I'm using kind of your mom as a reference point here. The person passes away, and it's like that path was embedded for years. It's not just going to release and disappear and all the grass is going to grow green over it right away. That's going to take some time. So, so that the, 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 you have to think of creating new experiences that can start a variety of different paths so that that one path can be grown over a little bit, metaphorically. Right. Right? So that so that it's the so that anytime we still have a memory of that person, uh, then then it, it stirs up, it activates again the same approximate firing patterns and then we're into the tears of grief again. But if we understand again these this is this is just the process of grief. That it comes it comes and goes, sometimes totally spontaneously and unexpectedly especially when we love somebody deeply. And, and that over, over time, it doesn't mean that the grief will ever entirely go away because we still have those memories embedded in our brain. But it, it means that, that what will happen is that that grief can lessen. The intensity of it lessens. In, in and, your book on page 216, you mentioned mm-hmm. that you were talking about your grief reset protocol in this chapter in the book Mm -hmm. which you said um, making your way through this grief then is a crucial step as you move toward greater emotional well-being and emotional mastery you're able to release anger bitterness grudges and 
resentment and can instead be less emotionally reactive and become a compassionate observer to what used to trigger you. You'll notice that you naturally become more spontaneous and present. You become self-aware and self-attuned. You possess the ability to feel and live in, and I love this part, and with your moment-to-moment experience. And I've really noticed that since I read the book and since I met you years and years ago as well, that, that that really, when I allow myself to just be in whatever that emotion is for the 90 seconds, or sometimes it feels like, for an eternity <laughs> mm-hmm. going right. through it right. each time I allow myself to feel that it seems to have less power over me correct right exactly this is that's exactly what I'm talking about okay yes yep all right that that was huge for me the first time awesome. you had ever given me that concept before you had written this book that whole idea and then there's I'm gonna uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading parts of your book because it's just so powerful. I want my listeners to get it. So there's Uh another thing that you wrote. Know that facing the truth within yourself is the only thing that puts you in a right relationship with yourself, leading to a sense of calm and inner peace, and is the only thing that can lead to love within and for yourself. The more Mm -hmm. you stay present to the truth of what your life was, the more you free yourself to create a life you love. Can you expand upon that? Because I feel like it's such a critical piece for my listeners. I know it is for me because I didn't want to face with my mom, especially and with the end of my my second marriage and and just everything that's been going on with my health. I didn't want to acknowledge that this is the truth of what my love life was right now. So it controlled me. And, was, and once you started facing the truth, it changed. It's, it has really begun to change. It's like, okay, this is my truth, but it doesn't have to stay my truth. My truth is I have some health issues. My truth is I can get triggered with vertigo by speaking. But mm-hmm. there are moments where that doesn't happen. And while I'm feeling it, I don't have to necessarily stop my life. Or I can find ways to work with my clients that work and I've started picking up 100 day mentoring clients again saying to them you know we may have an appointment at a point in time but I may have to reschedule that for an an hour later or the next day as long as you understand that or we may have to do it via text and they're like okay no problem because they're still getting the value but I've had to learn to adjust whereas before I stopped myself completely from doing business Interesting. Okay. Okay. Is, is, so, I'm using yeah. myself as an example. Sure, sure. Okay. And so no, facing your truth made a difference. I just, here's what I think happens, and, and I talk about it scattered throughout the book, that, that when we dismiss what we know to be the truth, and what I call that is trying not to know what we know. Okay. We, that's a moment where we disconnect from from our very strength. Uh, think of, think of uh, Samson having his hair cut off, uh, metaphorically. We've just, we've just unplugged from our source of strength the moment we engage in disconnection and distraction and suppressing the very thing that we know to be true for ourselves. And, mm-hmm. and so that we take our, if, we, if we've just kind of cut ourselves off from the source, 
then there's no way for us to have the confidence in everything else that we want to have. Because we don't, we don't have the fullness of it. We have an awareness of it, but we don't have the, the, the you know, we're not plugged in. We don't have the access to the full, the full source. So the moment we allow ourselves to know the truth of what we experience, even if it's painful, we're more congruent and we're more plugged in. So we now have full access to everything that's available to us. And, and when we try to cut off from the very, like if we think of, I've got so many thoughts in my head, I'm cutting off my own sentences. <laughs> when we, when we, uh, when we uh, think of feelings, including the unpleasant ones that you named earlier, as being available for us for the purposes of protection. When we cut off from those, we actually feel more vulnerable, not less. So, so we can't, there's no way for us to have that right relationship with ourselves because we're trying to distance ourselves from the very thing that's happening within us. So the more we can acknowledge the truth of what's going on within ourselves, the more congruent we are, our thoughts and feelings and our words and actions match up better. Yes. We're all, we're all four of those are aligned. And when we do that, we're in right relationship with ourselves. And that's when we feel a calmness and an inner peace and contentment. Okay. And in just under two minutes, we're going to be going over to national news. But before we... Uh, before we go into there, in just a minute or so, can you explain how somebody can determine if they're in truth or not? And if uh, that's in, it's, well, that's individual to the the, the person. So I, I, okay. I, you know, it's 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 how, whatever that shift was for you to acknowledge something and then to not acknowledge it and then to acknowledge it and, and notice the difference. You know, it's, it, yeah. you had an awareness that you were trying to push something away. So uh, we had the, the, the interesting thing about uh, uh, the human beings is that we have an ability to know what we know, to notice what we notice, to be aware of what we're aware of. It's called, it's called meta, there's metacognition, meta-awareness. It's knowing, it's knowing about knowing. And, and as human beings, we're able to do that. And, and so the more we can stay in that knowing as opposed to trying not to not trying to not observe what we observe the the more congruent we are the more congruent the more confident the more congruent the more calm and centered okay all right everybody we're going into the national news i'd like you to think about some emotion that you're feeling right now and national news will be at least 90 seconds so (laughs) just Feel into whatever that emotion is. Just let it process through you. And if you want and you're listening live, you can shoot me an email at laura at laurasteward.com or you can go out on social media and just say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And we'll be back with more from Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Welcome back, everyone. We are here continuing our conversation with the incomparable Dr. Joan Rosenberg, author of 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. And this is part two of my interview with her. I had part one several weeks ago, and I had 
so many questions. I couldn't fit them all in during one interview, so we are blessed to have her back with us today. Thanks again, Joan, for being here with me. Well, of course, I'm thrilled. Really, really thrilled. All right, so we were talking about connecting into your own truth, knowing what truth is for you versus this idea of what you may be saying to yourself isn't necessarily the truth of what's going on. And and that's a hard concept for a lot of my listeners, both personally and in business for them, because they feel that whatever's actually happening is truth. And one of the things you talk about throughout in this book is sometimes our emotions can be so overwhelming, especially around the um, those what we consider negative emotions of sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, embarrassment, disappointment, frustration, and vulnerability, that it disguises the actual truth? Is that the best way to, to, is that an accurate description? I don't know that I would say it disguises the truth. that, That so many people don't want to experience those feelings because, again, because they're, they're unpleasant in the body. <clears throat> not negative nor bad. I don't consider them negative or bad because they're protective in nature, but the, they don't want to experience them so that they, they, they move away from them, and as a result, then they're moving away from what's really going on. Okay. I, I remember one time when we first met, you had said, you know, my emotions were so over the top, I couldn't stop crying because something my ex-husband had said, and it was just a minor thing, but it internally it was so blown out of proportion in my response to it and you said it's got nothing really to do about what happened in that moment it was pent up from some other things and yeah let me let me explain that one i really appreciate it (laughs) because that one that one's a the there's a that reaction is a little bit like a radar guide for me Okay. So the, when when somebody reacts intensely uh, to something minor, so it's a reaction that seems out of proportion to the event, and and not not where uh, not where uh, spouses are calling each other out and going, well, you're overreacting. I'm talking about a serious, mostly because they they're saying you're overreacting because they don't want to deal with what's going on. I'm not talking about that kind of a response. I'm talking about a response in this case where you experience something minor with your ex, and but it it felt so big and so so kind of if you to your words kind of blown out of proportion when it's when it's disproportion when it is out of proportion when one's reaction is really out of proportion to what's taking place, then generally speaking there's a tie-in to something in the past. And I've, I've, I've personally or professionally never found that not to be true. Okay. It's just, it, and so that what, many times what ends up happening is that people don't deal, they, they're, they're not dealing moment to moment with the experience. Stuff gets kind of uh, absorbed and shut down on, and then, and then it collects. Now you're, now you're collecting incident after incident after incident after incident. And then at some point, that small incident that parallels it happens or is the exact thing. 
and then and then it's a gush out like a fire hose geyser, right? So it's the, if something's if people would deal in the moments that they think, and and they could get addressed. And I'm not talking about it in a mean way. I'm talking about it in a well-intentioned way. Then then it would come out like a water faucet. But if it doesn't get dealt with, and all you do is is shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down, you know, disconnect, distract, not deal with it, whatever it might be, then when that next minor incident happens, then uh, then uh, it's going to come gushing out like a fire hose. That's how I knew that that it was connected to something, that something or some things that had happened before. What I realized over the years of processing through that, that one moment, and, and you talk about that in your book uh, in the later chapters, I, I started taking it to this whole idea of I can't move forward. I, I f- these over fire hose kind of reactions to something, like if I fail at something or... I've seen this with my clients. They're like, I can never do this, you know, and it seems like they're constantly stuck. They're afraid to now take risks because they get an over fire hose reaction using those words when it's not really true. If you can take them back and get them to break it, whatever they're feeling down and reframe the whole concept of, failure instead of oh you're overly uh, emotional or saying i always fail which really isn't Mm -hmm. the truth right because if somebody always failed what would happen joan uh they would just keep learning i look at failure as uh, i mean some people call failures mistakes i call and many people will call failures learning opportunities so the first thing is to reframe the word failure period it's like all it is is a learning opportunity that's it. Nothing, nothing more than that. Something didn't work out, and now it's a learning opportunity. What do you have to do different? But yeah, didn't, didn't, go ahead. When somebody's in failure, all of these negative emotions come up. That, well, that you again, talk about gonna, learning how to mani- master your difficult feelings. To right, right, right. So let's so, but let's let's walk through that again. Okay. Let's not call them. I'm gonna challenge you here a little bit. Let's not call them negative. Okay. They're unpleasant. Okay. So, so the, the way I talk about it in the book, it, 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 so spoiler alert for everybody, the, is, that, it is, is that failure, if we think of failure, most people think of failure as not achieving what I set out to achieve. And that's uh, a decent enough definition, but it doesn't cut it for me. So the next way to look at it is it's uh, not achieving what I set out to achieve, especially the first time I set out to achieve it, because to your point, so many people quit after they've, after they've not had something happen the way they wanted the first time. But that's not the way I look at failure. One, I look at failure as a learning opportunity, and two... I reframe that that other definition that I was using a moment ago a little bit differently. So, so failure is difficulty tolerating one or more of the eight unpleasant feelings that get elicited or evoked when you don't achieve what you set out to achieve 
especially the first time you set out to achieve it. So what I found is that when people get stopped by failure or people don't want to take risks, it's not the risk that they have a hard time with. It's not the failure that they have a hard time with, like the thing not working out that they have a hard time with. They have a hard time with the emotional outcome of it not working out. So if I can get people to understand that all dealing with failure is is dealing with the emotional outcome, then and you know that all you have to do is to ride waves of unpleasant bodily sensation to make your way through the feelings you have about it, then you can go pursue whatever you want. I, I'm just sitting here, I've got goosebumps, because it what you just said it, is so powerful. In my own experience running a multi-state company and then afterwards and even taking care of my mom, my marriages, it when I got stuck in that failure mindset was when I didn't allow myself to process through and and truly feel those things, you know, like the shame, the embarrassment, the disappointment, the frustration, sure. feeling sure. vulnerable. Yeah. And, and and sadness. And if I had, I, I see this with my clients all the time. You don't allow yourself to, and then you just get stuck. So what right. can somebody do? What question can they ask themselves when they're say feeling that when they're when they fa- to help them become aware? I mean, obviously, the show is going to help them become aware right now, and your book. And what question when they're when they feel like they're stuck in failure? Yeah, because uh, you can uh, process the, through I, it. But yeah, sure. Well, then if they're if they're getting concerned about failure, then the thing I, the question that I would have them ask themselves is, what is it that feels harder for me to to know, think, feel, or bear that's underneath this? Okay. So that that would be the question, or or what unpleasant feelings are underneath this that are harder for me to experience. Does it also apply not only to failure, but to success? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yes, because in order, you know, one of the things I mentioned, I say, in fact, I say in the book, uh, we fail our way to success. None of us succeeds alone, so we have to get over that little bias. Lone Ranger doesn't cut it for any of us. Ever, even if we think we're doing stuff alone, there's people around us supporting us in ways we can't even imagine. And so even if somebody's cooking you a meal so you can go out and see a client, whatever it is, then you've just been supported. You're not succeeding alone. So we should get over that idea about that. The second is that we can adopt a whole host of attitudes that make a big difference. So the so one is the, the let me let me walk us through again. I'm kind of okay. tripping over my own words. One is none of us succeeds alone. The second is failure is just a learning opportunity. Third, um, the it's not the risk we're afraid of. It's the emotional outcome of taking the risk that we back we want to back off away from 
So again, if you so if you know that you can manage and make your way through those eight unpleasant feelings, which I talk about throughout the whole book, it's really the essence of the book. Then then you can go pursue anything you want in life. In fact, and and then you adopt what I call a resilience a, a mindset. And part of the resilience mindset includes being able to knowing you can manage those eight unpleasant feelings. Part of the resilience mindset is being able to ask for help. And I, I have like a checklist that's probably got 18 to 20 different items on it. Uh, and and so one of them has to do with you, uh, that you because you read something about change, that you understand that change is the constant and and that that we accept periods of grace, that we accept periods of, of quiet and stability with grace and gratitude, but understand that change is the constant. Um, faith is another uh, is another r- resilience attitude. Uh, understanding that every life experience is a learning opportunity is another attitude. Holding an optimistic point of view, uh, approaching life with curious curiosity and openness. Uh, and all these different kinds of things are are attitudes uh, that you can hold in addition to being able to manage those eight unpleasant feelings. And when, and when you hold those attitudes, they're going to help you be resilient. Uh, another one I believe is uh, that, that uh, let's see, I, I actually was able to open to the spot in the book. Um, I will persist and persevere because those are integral aspects of facing challenges, being successful, and achieving my dreams. So it's holding that attitude that I'm just going to persist and persevere until I get there. Wherever you're there, wherever you're there, there is. Uh, so it, it, there's much you can do to um, both work with the unpleasant feelings and hold attitudes that then support wherever it is you want to go. And throughout the entire book, you have checklists, you have exercises, journaling things that people can work through when they're going through it. I love the resilience, attitude, intention, and action checklist towards the end of the book. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Which, for me, that just really takes everything we've been talking about in this part two of the interview that you can just go through. And I, I love this one. Um, I know I have faced other difficult life circumstances and I can draw on my own experience of having successfully made it through them to face my current challenges. Right. Because right. that kind of helps take me out of that rut. Yeah, no, actually there's, yes, yes, definitely. Well, and, and for me, that was a, there's a story that I told with regard to that one earlier in the book, which is, which is the story about the ski dude. Oh yeah, that's, that's I love that story. Uh, Go ahead, keep going. So, I was working with a, a client, and sometimes I just I, I'll have ideas in my head, and I, I know that they're actually coming out of of the experience that that's ha- taking place between the two of us. But I don't know I don't know exactly where that they thought that it feels like the thoughts out of the blue, and and so I was working with this one guy, and I looked at him, and I and I said I said, did you ever ski? And he said, yeah. And this is a guy who came in to see me because he was having panic attacks and high anxiety. And, and I, said, uh, I said, snowboard? He goes, yeah. He said, I, I actually skied and snowboarded competitively. It's like, what? 
He goes, yeah. And I, and I said, I said uh, black diamonds? He goes, yeah. I said, double black diamonds? He goes, yeah. I said, so where's Ski Dude? And, and what I meant by that is that if you think about what it takes to snowboard down a, a, a mountain on, uh, that's, that's extremely difficult, so the black diamond is a representative of that, or the double black diamond is even harder, I the fell mountain. getting off the ski lift and couldn't get back up. <laughs> there you go. So, so, <clears throat> or to do it on two skis right, right, instead of a snowboard. It right. doesn't matter to me whether it's whether it's the two skis or it's the snowboard. The level of difficulty and the level of balance, and the, the combination of balance and speed coming down a sheer mountain um, is incredible. What it takes to do that, the determination and the the courage and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and the physical skill. And and here's a guy who did that, yet he's coming in and being debilitated by his own panic attacks. And I said, when I said, we're ski dude, what I was trying to say, communicate to him is that you have this resourcefulness inside of you and your ability to, to go after something with dog and determination that ski dude guy can face down the panic attacks. So I was inviting him to pull on a, a draw, draw from a resource within himself of his own successes to face down the anxiety and the panic that he was experiencing. It made a huge difference. And so what I'll do is I'll always look for that in someone's life. It's like, where's that, where's that resource within them that they can pull on? And um, and it's always there. People have always done something in their lives that they've done well at. You can always draw on that as a resource to help you make it through and be resilient in the next thing. I'm working with a client right now who used to have two offices and sold his business, and now he's running his business a completely different way, and he's like, I, I can't do this, I can't do this, I don't know how to do this. And I'm like... You had two offices, successfully sold it, so why are you thinking you still don't have those same skill sets? Right, exactly. Ski that's, dude. Yeah. Right? It's ski dude. Yeah, it's a ski dude moment. Yeah, that's going to be my new catchphrase. <laughs> Bring out Robert. your internal ski dude. That's right. Where's yeah, your or ski do dude? That, or do that, yeah, or, yeah. And exactly. everybody that's listening, Joan has, the, the book is available wherever books are sold, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. But you have um, incredible resources out there at drdrjoanrosenberg.com for people. You have uh, companion worksheets, guided exercises, and other resources, Correct. Yeah, that's actually, for those who get the book, there's a particular resource, uh, those resources, some of those resources that I mentioned in the book are available to them right. uh, as, as kind of worksheets so that they don't have to, you know, write in the book if they don't want to, right. uh, or, uh, and, and for others, if they want, they can go to Dr. Joan Rosenberg forward slash gift, um, and there's, a, a, there's, I think, a download of the uh, the eight unpleasant feelings and two other things that uh, that uh, that are available to them. I think there's uh, them. They might even have access to 
chapter one of the book or something. And I can't, I can't remember. There's three different things that are there that if people want to go ahead and get that, they can. Okay. And for people who have bought the book, you have a Facebook group where yes. they can talk yep. about stuff that's coming up for them and, and you're, you're there and you're helping people and everybody's helping each other. What is yeah, that? Yeah, it's li- uh, Life You Love. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's and actually that's available to everybody. It's not just available to people who bought the book. But if they get the book, it's uh, it'll make more sense because of the of the approach. I, and again, there's many things that I I talk about in the book that are kind of counterintuitive and and a little bit different than a lot of other folks have talked about things. So it's it's just a whole different way to kind of look at life. I mean, I I included in the book a compliment blockers checklist. For God's sake, who talks about compliment, blocking compliments? <laughs> but there's a whole important piece, I think, on on the on why it's important for us to accept compliments as as part of this overall approach to building confidence and resilience. Which is so hard for so many people to do to accept a compliment they'd rather give them than accept them they don't know how to respond. Right. Right. Yep. But I think it's super important for us to absorb them and take them in. Okay, so last thought you'd like to leave with my listeners today. Actually, let's leave on compliments. That's a great. That's a great thing to to leave with. So the the actually I'll leave two pieces, and one I might have said before. The, in, the in less than that, two minutes. <laughs> okay, I can I can do it. I can do it. The first is to accept compliments, and why? Because they're a reflection of you back to you. They they help you update your self image. Great. And the, and the second is, uh, it's super important to do that. The second is if just knowing that if you can ride one or more 90-second bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings, you can go pursue anything you want in life. And people can find you and reach out to you and get your book. How? Uh, com. I'm... Go Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, the the Facebook group. I've got TED, two TED Talks out there. There's Psychology Today. There's a Quora Sessions. I'm all over the the uh, that, that world wide web. Okay, so. and the book is available wherever books are sold. It's 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. So I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be back on for the second time. You're only my second author that I've done two parts with. Well, I love you, and uh, I'm happy to do it. Just and, and the messages to me is so important to talk about. So thank you very much for having me back. Well, it's great because, you know, knowing you as I do and reading, having read this book, it, it changed my life, and I know it's changing the lives of a lot of other people that have gotten copies of the book and have been reading it, which is why I love to bring people like you on my show. So everybody go to dr, doctor, short for doctor, joanrosenberg.com. Go get a copy of the book and let us know what you think. And Joan, have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks so much again. All right, everybody, remember that the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking yourself today? And if you're not sure what questions you should be asking, reach out to me at laura at laurasteward.com or I'm all over social media. I want to help you. We can do 100-day mentoring or more. Have a blessed day, everyone, and hug someone you love. Take care. 
You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 